Would you turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12? Tonight we're going to finish out the chapter. We're going to go from 11 to 21. Just to remind you what Paul's been doing. He's been defending himself. At least that would be the appearance of what he's been doing. Tonight we'll see that he transitions with a powerful statement in our passage. But Paul's great concern has been that Christ has not only redeemed him, captured him, and made him an apostle, but that Christ has sent him into the world on mission. And so in his defense, as he he writes the Corinthians, and as he sees these false apostles coming into the church and, and stealing them away, he said last week he was livid. Those that are causing them to sin because Paul's driving mission is to present the bride of Christ pure and unstained. And so he's training up this congregation and he's helping them see what is true, what can be believed. And so tonight we're going to unpack that as we see Paul seeking to build up the church. Let's pray before we read God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us truth. That your word is without error. It is perfect. We thank you that your word um, is so tied to who you are, God. That for it to be false, you would not be God. And so we thank you that as this truth is laid before us, Father, that that your spirit leads us to truth. That your spirit opens our eyes and gives us ears to hear and to understand. And I pray, God, that it would be a penetrating word. We would trust in it. And that we would know Christ's voice from it. We thank you for your son, Jesus who died for our sins and sits now in power and authority. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Beginning with verse 11. I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders, and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here, for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. 
For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling and jealousy and anger and hostility and slander and gossip and conceit and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity sexual immorality and sensuality that they have practiced. This is God's word for his people. Amen. Amen. Uh, Paul is called to the ministry of building up the church of Jesus Christ. And with this comes accountability, both for the minister and for the congregation. So tonight we're going to consider two points in the upbuilding of the church, the building up of the church. One, what to expect of your pastor. And two, what is expected of a congregation? Obviously, we're going to spend most of our time on the second point. I'm just, just kidding. Matt and I were joking about that. <laughs> what to expect of your pastor. In many ways, this has not been the letter that Paul wanted to write. Uh, He has had to play the fool. He was forced to spill ink page after page on his authenticity as an apostle of Jesus. The Corinthians are in great danger for their souls and are instead playing some popularity game between Paul and some of the other uh, uh, super apostles that have come into Corinth. And the Corinthian church has lost its way. The church has become both ineffective in their spiritual battle and ineffective in their true call in the world and their evangelistic call to reach the lost. The wrong battle is being fought and the sheep are exposed to every danger. So Paul's greatest concern is not simply that He be their pastor, that they choose Him, but that Christ would be followed and obeyed. As He said in uh, chapter 2, verse 17, we are not like so so many peddlers of God's Word that is trying to make a dime off of God's Word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God. Listen, commissioned by God, Paul says. In the sight of God, he says, we speak in Christ. It is that commission that drives Paul on his mission. He has really been laying out before them in this boast those things which authenticate him as a true apostle. Verse 12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. John Uh, in his gospel, goes on to tell us the the reason that Christ came performing signs and wonders and mighty works. He says, these are written down so that you may believe in Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Jesus' miracles indicate His authority and His mission from the Father in heaven. And likewise, Jesus gave to his his apostles these signs and these wonders to authenticate that he indeed has sent them into the world that many might believe. 
does that have to do with your pastor? There will be no signs and wonders up here for me. These signs are unique to the apostles as the church was being established. They're not found in the pulpit today. But the principle holds true for what is expected of a pastor. In a real sense, a pastor performs signs and wonders. When he preaches the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of God's Word, for it is that gospel that raises up those who are dead in their sins, those who are dead spiritually, are given life. What signs and wonders attend the preaching of God's true Word. The pastor lays before his congregation the signs and wonders of Christ and the works of the apostles to authenticate the message. Paul alludes to that in verse 12. He says the signs of a true apostle. What are the signs of a true pastor? A pastor is called to truth. They are to be students of the word of truth, speak truth, and exercise true motives in leading a church. Truth often gets you in trouble. I mean, think about a parent who sees their child running down the hallway with scissors. What do you do? Instinctively, you grab them out of their hands because they are in danger. You tell them, and what does the child do? You took what was mine. That was mine. Why'd you take it from me? Sometimes truth bites. Sometimes truth cuts down to the very marrow of who we are. And sometimes truth snatches out of our hands things that we dearly love but are actually doing us great harm. And for Paul, in his dealings with the Corinthians, truth has gotten Paul in a lot of trouble. In fact, the last chapter he saw shipwrecked, imprisoned, beaten five times with lashes, all kinds of trouble and trial for the sake of truth. Pastors have lost calls at churches because they have said what is true and the congregation turns on them. Pastors often have to say hard things that are unpopular and countercultural. But the most loving thing that your minister could ever do for you is to speak truth no matter the cost to himself. And you should always expect it. This is what authenticates him as a minister. A pastor should avoid conflict that is unnecessary where he can, but it will ultimately, he will be accountable to God for how he handled the truth, how he handled God's word. And though truth may have a sting to it, if done in love, it also can cause us to thrive. There is many a pulpit where pastors are afraid to tell the truth because it offends. And when they do this, they lead masses to the very doors of hell just to avoid earthly offense. But what about the heavenly offense of sin? It was never their concern. You must expect of your pastor and elders that they will be men whose ministry is authenticated by truth. This is what Paul's telling them. 
You see these signs and wonders, they authenticate what I'm telling you that Christ has sent me to speak for him. And his very words are for you and for your life. Paul goes on to highlight another aspect of what is expected of a pastor by a congregation. He says, uh, they are not to, bur- not to be a burden to you, verse 14. Here Paul's indicating really two things. He means he doesn't want to be a financial burden to them. This doesn't mean that he's working for free. He says elsewhere that the other churches have supplied everything that he needs so that when he comes to Corinth, listen, I don't need you to gather any supply for me. I don't want to be a burden to you. But that doesn't mean that we don't pay ministers. That's not the argument I'm making tonight. He goes on to say in in 1 Timothy 5.18, he's he's writing to Timothy and he says, don't muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain for the laborer deserves his wages. The pastor's calling, his livelihood, his every thought, his world is the church and the people that he's called to minister to and he should receive a livelihood from it. That's not what Paul's arguing here. But he also means something else by burden. That he has not made them slaves to serve his will. That's what the super apostles were doing. He's not their pastor in some worldly power structure, but a heavenly model. It is servant leadership. It is the same as the son of man who came to serve and not to be served. That is why he says in, in verse 14, I seek not what is yours, but you. Verse 15, he will most gladly be spent for their souls. The pastor is the one who is to carry burdens so that you may be unburdened. The pastor is to be poured out and you are to be filled up. The pastor, like a shepherd, lays awake to guard his sheep. A pastor should not burden the congregation unnecessarily. Uh, Madden uh, Jen put me on to a podcast earlier this week uh, from Sinclair Ferguson, and he speaks about the role of pastor in correction of a congregation. When he preaches the word of truth, he is not to place unnecessary burdens on them. When you hear that word correction, it often carries a negative connotation, doesn't it? Sinclair points out when he hears the word correction, the, the, the pastor who preaches the word you know, for rebuke, for correction. He says, when I hear the word correction, I think of the the professor who takes your paper and and marks it up with red all down the page. and And you see in bright red all the ways that you failed and all the ways that you are wrong. But what he points out is that correction there comes from the word, the Greek word, epon, orthosin. You hear the word in there, orthos. And he says it's actually, when you think of orthos, you know, like an orthopedic surgeon who sets the bones right. The pastor, in uh, preaching the word to you, the truth in correction, is to be this thing that sets right. For what? For, for healing, that he, he puts it back so that you might be right again. So often ministers are prone to burden their people in rebuke 
and wait until they crush people's spirits. They give the law and they forget the grace and they pile on and pile on and don't move one finger to relieve. The gospel should be endearing. It should be appealing. And Paul doesn't want to crush them and burden them unnecessarily. He wants to see them healed and restored. He cares for their souls and whatever burdens them. And his word is to heal. I think anything else is spiritual abuse. A pastor is called to show them where their burdens may be relieved. This means your pastor should gladly receive that desperate call in the middle of the night or any time of the day. That his thoughts and his prayers should constantly be burdened with the state of your soul. That his mind be drawn always to what would bring you relief from shame and despair and sin's grip and fear. A pastor should love his congregation in this way. Verse 15. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Of course, Paul's asking a rhetorical question. I'm being poured out in every way to you, Corinth, because I love you. And when I express that in speaking truth, will you love me less? I'm not being crafty, he says, by deceit for my own good, but I am speaking truth to you. Whatever the cost, I will bear the burden. And lastly, Paul tells us another, another thing that should, you should expect of your pastor that they should be men of integrity. Verse 18, he says, Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same way? We dealt with you with the utmost integrity. This is fundamental to what is expected of a pastor. If he doesn't live in integrity, then it denigrates the integrity of the word that he preaches and it tears down the church instead of building it up. Paul tells them both life and practice should match. Listen, I know this because it's, it's too common. Many a person has been cheated by their pastors. Churches abused by its authority and it has done more to harm Christians than the world it would seem. The pastor and by extension the church that was to be the one haven of truth has crushed souls. And this is the turn Paul makes in verse 19. Why has he been writing and and arguing and playing the fool uh, chapter after chapter? He isn't defending himself. He is defending Christ Jesus. And rightfully, he understands his ministry is done in the sight of God. Have only a pastor who has this burning conviction. And have no other. Have a pastor that knows. Like like John says. uh, John the Baptist says in John 3. Am I the Christ? No. I am taking care of the bride until the bridegroom returns to take his bride. Pray for your pastor in this. Uh, Satan sifts all the time 
and seeks any way to bring down your elders, your deacons, your pastors. He wants to sift the church by it. Pray for your ministers, because like Paul says, I am weak. So this is what is expected of your pastor. So this leads us to what is expected of a congregation. Uh, For a moment, I'm going to keep talking about Paul. I'm going to get to why this matters to the congregation. Verse 19, he said, is the culmination. I think of everything Paul's been arguing of all those chapters, Paul's defense of his ministry. He's been giving this overwhelming evidence of his love for them. His authenticity as an apostle, his blatant weaknesses, his sufferings and his hardships and his undeterred anxiety for them. And yet he doesn't say, now you've heard it all. I want you guys to choose. Who are you going to follow? Is it going to be me or is it going to be them? Instead, he turns it to say, are you familiar with Christ? Because that's what he's saying here. I've been speaking says, have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves? Isn't that a strange question after he's been defending himself? He says, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. That's what his whole defense has been about. Christ who sees him. He's saying, do you even recognize his voice? God is watching and he sees everything that Paul is doing. And it is in the sight of God's eyes that Paul is directed in his ministry. He has been sent and he doesn't want to misrepresent Christ. His defense this whole time was not before the Corinthians. His defense was before Christ. That his hands might be clean before the one who judges the heart of all men. The one who sees not only Paul, but sees how the congregation responds. And he rightly understands that the pulpit of his ministry is not a soapbox or a chance to preach himself, but to declare God's words. And he is tethered to that truth. He's telling Corinth, we are speaking in Christ We are speaking Christ's words to you. Are you listening? Jesus says, as I mentioned to the children in John 10, the good shepherd calls his sheep and the sheep know his voice and they follow him. But how does Jesus call his sheep now? Where is his voice that we might hear it and we might follow it? Paul goes on to say in Romans 10, The word is near you. It is in your mouth and heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim. How are you to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? Here's where it lands in the congregation. How does God, how does Christ speak to us? By the preaching of the word. This is why we must have pastors who proclaim Christ. And this also means that the congregation must recognize that authority and understand expectantly that when they hear and sit under the preaching of God's word, Jesus is speaking to you. That's profound, isn't it? When we read his word, God is speaking to us. Children, do you understand that? 
When you sit down with your parents for evening worship and they open up the Bible, do you understand God is talking to you? Receive it. So what is expected of the congregation that they would listen and be built up in Christ? What does this mean? Matthew 11 says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ wants to build you up, not crush you under burdens. You see where the burdens to be placed? On Christ. Upbuilding is standing tall in faith in Christ. Upbuilding comes from faith and repentance and repentance tears down what is broken to be built up new. Paul expresses two fears. It's instructive for us as a congregation. Verse 20, when I come to you, I fear that I may not find you as I wish. His wish is that the congregation would be in order and at peace and that they would be marked by repentance. And he fears when he comes that he would find that very thing that fractures and rips and tears the foundations down as if it trods on the very body of Christ. What he purchased and his bride that he would come to a church and he'd find nothing but quarreling and jealousy and anger and hostility and slander and gossip and conceit and disorder. So man-centered, so self-centered. In the church where everyone has been made in, one, in Christ, he doesn't want to find those things which wreck the peace of the church. So church, be on guard against it. Be on guard against a heart that so easily can speak against another in the congregation or hold back for forgiveness or slander. The church is to be different from the world. And when the world sees the church at war with each other and tearing one another down, it tears at the very testimony of Christ. The peace granted from heaven should be a peace that permeates the church. And this is not only the expectation of a congregation, uh, to a congregation, but reality that they believe in Christ. A congregation that is friends with these particular sins is not a friend of Christ. It tramples underfoot the body of Christ. Paul also hopes to find a church that is growing in the grace of repentance. There he closes with, he fears that he might have to mourn that those who sinned earlier have returned to those sins. You see, repentance from sin is not a one-time occasion, but an ongoing mark of the true believer. He hopes to find those who are disciples of Christ and not of their flesh and desires. And he hopes that his coming won't be to bring discipline, but rejoicing in their spiritual progress. These are things we need to chew on as we close tonight. That Christ has purchased this bride. And Christ has raised up leaders. We should expect to hear truth from them and see them as men of integrity. May your pastors never lay burdens on you that crush your spirit and give you no hope. And congregation, if your pastor be truly called by Christ, listen to his words. If they come from the word, test it and know it. It is truth and we must respond to it. And we must be a people that are marked by repentance. Let's pray.